Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, Paddle and Finn listeners? This is your host, Brian, from the OG Show. Just wanted to make you guys aware of Jackson Orr's second annual Catch and Release Charity Tournament. Uh, that's K-A-T-C-H, Kayak Anglers together can help this takes place september 13th 14th and 15th it's an online event nationwide starts friday at 6 a.m goes till sunday at 7 p.m entry fees 20 dollars tourney x has waived the fees you can sign up on tourney x doesn't matter if you're a good angler an experienced angler new angler to the kayak fishing tournament world so let's all get together and help jackson out get this organized your hosts at Paddle and Finn have all come together and we've decided any proceeds that we get from selling t-shirts, hoodies, long sleeves, things like that at the Paddle, the letter N, and Finn.com, uh, go to the store tab. You buy any stuff, we're going to take the proceeds from that, donate it to the charity portion for Jackson's event. Um, that's something we wanted to do to help Jackson give back to some great organizations. So get signed up, guys. Jackson's trying to reach 100 anglers. I think it's an easy way for us to achieve, even if you can't fish it. It's 20 bucks, guys. Let's help out. What's up, boys and girls? Just wanted to take a quick minute to talk to you about the Paddle and Fin gear. If you haven't seen it yet, go to Paddle, the letter N, and Fin.com. Go click that store tab at the top. Check out the store. We got tons of t-shirt designs, long sleeves, hoodies, phone cases, you name it, it's on there. Give it a gander. Your hosts are two long-time fishermen who 
inside the entire fishing world, and guess what? They're taking you along for the ride. So buckle in and welcome to Paddle Fish. Welcome to the Paddle and Fin Podcast. This is the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment where we try to improve our skills as an angler by learning new techniques or improving the ones we already know. I'm your host, Ryan Milford, and today we're here with Cody Jennings. Cody is the owner of Jig Masters. Um, I haven't personally got to try any of Cody's jigs, but I've checked them out and they look really interesting, really cool. Um, Cody was on the OG segment what, two or three weeks ago, something like that, yep. and uh, he had a lot of interesting information on there, some really cool stuff, so um, I encourage you to go check that episode out after this, if you haven't heard it already, pretty cool, but uh, Cody, how's it going tonight? Not too bad, not too bad, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um. I wanted to start out by bragging on you a little bit. So, uh, you know, your website for Jig Masters, you know, I was going through there, and something I noticed is there's not like a, you know, when it comes to jigs, there's so many different jig types, so many different jig heads and everything. It gets really confusing whenever you don't know what you're doing with it. But uh, with... Uh, with yours, you seem to keep it pretty simple. You know, you got like three or four different ones that you, it, it seems like you try to perfect those ones. And uh, you can see a real distinct uh, difference in yours. Say your, your flipping jig, you can see a difference in yours compared to every other one you find on the shelves in another store, which I found really cool. Uh, I know you said in the uh, OG episode that you uh, you like custom made those yourself, machined it all yourself, and everything. So I, I thought that was really cool. I wanted to brag on you for a minute. You got uh, several different colors to choose from in those. It just seems like you really took the time to try to perfect those jigs that you made. Uh, yeah, no, I um, you know I appreciate the kind words. Um, you know, one of my big things are, you know, I'm trying to do this as a long-term business, right? And, you know, what I really tell people a lot is I don't want to microwave it. You know, a lot of people that start businesses right now, you know, they, even if they do have, you know, good ideas, stuff like that, they get too dialed into, I have to make a bunch of money now. Um, now, granted, I'm young. It's easy for me to say that compared to, you know, maybe somebody, you know, who is closer to retirement or something like that, right? Um, you know, but I really try to, when I add a new design, I try to perfect it before jumping into 20 other products. Um, you know, cause what's the point of having 20 bad products versus one really good one? Um, you know, so I, I really try to take my time with each product I'm getting into, uh, which I do have a, you know, a lot of new, you know, new lures and stuff coming out that have been being prototyped for about, you know, six to eight months. Um, you know, that has a lot of design work in it and, you know, like I said, I really try to perfect them before getting them into, you know, too many anglers' hands. And you can really tell, it, 
just looking at, I haven't seen them in person yet, and I do plan on getting some eventually. But just looking at them on the website, you can tell that there's been a lot of detail put into those. Something else I wanted to mention is you got a starter pack on there, and that is that looks like a really good deal. It's like it was like ten of uh, ten football jigs, ten flipping jigs, I believe, and some pivot heads. And yep. Yeah. Like so there's, um, there's a there's one of the buzz baits, um, and then there's there's five flipping jigs, five football jigs, and then ten pivot heads. Um, you know, that's a, basically the starter pack. It kind of gives you a, a good variety of, you know, what I currently have. And then as there's more products added, um, you know, there'll be several different starter packs um, or different bundle deals, stuff like that, you know, but it's basically like retail is about 62.50. And, you know, I try to offer it to, you know, right around $50. Um, that way, you know, if people really aren't super sure on what to order, you know, I kind of, and I don't really give them any, a lot of people, or a lot of times you see bundle deals, it's always trying to get rid of, you know, inventory that's not necessarily moving. Yeah, um, overhead. But how I see it is, you know, I want to make sure people are actually getting the best lures off the initial order um, or any of their orders when they do starter packs. And the reason I say that is, is I want repeat customers, you know, so I really want to make sure it's stuff that I know will catch fish in their area. Um, otherwise, you know, if they have a bad experience with them, you know, because I gave them a bunch of colors that, you know, nobody buys and they're just there on the shelf and there's a reason why nobody bought them. Um, you know, I'm not really doing anybody justice. Right. That, that's that's good business tactics right there. But uh, yeah, so we tooted your horn a little bit with uh, Jigmasters. So. <laughs> I appreciate um, it. But we had Cody on tonight because... I wanted to talk jig fishing with him, with him being the jig master and everything. Um, I just wanted to talk different jig styles, when to use them, where to use them, what to use them on, all that good stuff. So uh, uh, let's just start out. What What's your favorite jig to throw? Uh, by far, it is the flipping jig. Um, I love fishing, you know, shallow wooded cover. You know stuff like that you know i'm that's really my kind of bread and butter per se um not necessarily wouldn't use it for you know deep deep water applications and stuff but really for flipping into the you know the gnarliest timber you can find you know that's really what i like doing um you know and when i'm doing that when i say shallow wooded cover i'm really talking about 10 feet or less um you know so a lot of the the bank beating per se um you know, and, and really, and you'll hear a lot of people, you know, say, oh, you got to use braid. Um, you know, a lot of people say braid with a fluorocarbon leader. I've, for the longest time now, and I don't know if I'll ever switch, um, I have been throwing straight fluorocarbon. And there's a few reasons I do that. Um, a, I'm lazy. I don't want to tie two knots, you know, for the leader. <laughs> and then, you know, but yeah, I'll um, feel you there. Yeah, but also, um, and if you if you actually talk to a lot of the pros and stuff, you'll hear this too, is when you tie two knots, that's just one more that can potentially fail. Um, you know, so I really like just using straight fluorocarbon. Um, and then I'm always, not not everybody does this, but I'm always throwing at minimum 20-pound fluoro um, when I'm flipping, you know, flipping around, you know, shallow cover and stuff. I want to be able to, you know, when I set that hook, I want to be able to move that fish, you know, especially if you're catching them in treetops or, you know, brush piles, stuff like that. 
you know, you don't want to hook them and then have to play with them with a light drag, you know, because um, they'll just bury you. So I like to, on the hook set, move them and then be able to actually move them quick out of there. Um, yeah, I've actually, actually just this just year this switched year the floor over my jig rod. Um, I, I don't know if, if you knew this already or not, but when it, my early years of bass fishing, which I've been bass fishing about six years now, but my first few years and whatnot, my comfort bait was a football head jig. Okay. And uh, and I started out just using mono, which I, I think a lot of people start out just using mono when they first start bass fishing. And uh, last year I tried straight braid, didn't do too well with that. Um, this year I actually got 20 pound fluoro that. Uh, but I, I ain't been throwing the jig as much. I, I need to get back in with it. But uh, it feels good. Like when you were saying that, it felt kind of good. Hey, I'm doing something right. I got the right line on there. <laughs> um, when it comes to the fluoro discussion, you know, a lot of people get turned off due to cost. Or a lot of people, you'll have a lot of diehard braid people. Um, you know, my big thing with that, now it's not great in all applications. If you're throwing top waters, please don't throw fluorocarbon um, because fluorocarbon actually sinks, um, you know, to where mono is actually neutral buoyant and then braid actually kind of floats a little bit. Um, you know, how I, but why I tell people that, you know, throw fluorocarbon, even if it's dirty water, is for me, I know it's not hurting. You know, dirty water, you can get away with braid. But if you can get away with braid, you're not being hurt by using fluorocarbon. And then when you move to whether it's even on the same body of water or, if, you know, the next day you're fishing or whatever, and you're going to a clear place, then, yeah, you're going to struggle with braid. Or you might even struggle with if it's a high pressure lake, you'll struggle with mono too. Um, you know, and I fish a, a pretty good amount of clear water to where it's just beneficial for me to just have fluorocarbon rigged up all the time. Well, well something else that I've always heard is, uh, you know, you're talking about throwing into a bunch of wood piles and whatnot. I've always heard that braid makes a really unnatural sound when it's coming across wood and that can detour fish. Is, is that something that's true? I've, I've heard it for years. but um, As far as saying it's true, tough to know, right? Unless you have underwater mics and stuff like that. You know, I, I haven't seen any actual, you know, footage from it. Um, you know, but I could could actually see that, you know, where you have the multi-strand, you know, it's basically it's thread, um, you know, going across there. I could see that. Okay. I, I didn't know if that was a common saying or anything like that or something I heard. Uh, so uh, what, what other kind of jigs do you like? What other kind of jigs do you like throwing? Um, yeah, so, I mean, like, you know, like I said, obviously the, you know, the flipping jig is, you know, definitely one of my favorite techniques, um, you know, but it, it's not made for everything, you know, it, it is technique specific. Um, and I'll never try to tell people, oh, use it anywhere. You know, it's great. Um, you know, like if you're fishing deep water, whether you're fishing deep water ledges, whether you're fishing, you know, rock piles, um, you know, even just kind of more like, you know, flats and stuff like that. Um, that's where you're really going to want to switch over to to the football jig. Um, they both have, between the flipping and football, they both have a stand-up presentation, 
um, but that football jig will snag less and more rock, you know, style cover. Um, and then it actually, how it kind of, as you're slowly dragging it, it actually helps bump over rocks or bump over if there is a little bit of timber or something down in there. Um, it'll, you know, come through a little better. Um, but even fishing deep and stuff like that, actually, my first way, you know, my favorite way to actually start is with the uh, the pivot heads. Um, also, you'll hear them called like swinging football jigs or uh, wobble heads. Um, and all that is is just where, you know, the, the basically it's like a football head, but it's, you know, the, it has, it's able to swing the hook is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the things that I did to, you know, kind of help make mine different is, you know, most of them just come up with a, essentially like a worm hook. Um, the issue with that, like if you try to, you know, glue your soft plastics on there or something like that to whether they, you know, last a little longer, a lot of times that super glue will get in that joint with the head. And then if you get glue in there and it seizes up, well, then it doesn't actually wobble anymore. You know, right. <laughs> no pivot, you know, it just makes it a fixed hook basically. Um, so instead I actually use a, a wide gap hook, um, but I attach it with a split ring. So now the hook actually even has a little bit more freedom. Um, and then I'll use a center pen screw lock as the trailer keeper. So you don't need super glue. Um, but that's actually my favorite way when I'm searching for fish in deep water, um, or a lot of rock structure and you basically, you cast it out. Yeah. I make really long cast with it, let it get to the bottom. And then I'll keep my rod tip, you know, pretty close to the surface and just have a real slow retrieve and kind of basically the head and the, you know, whatever, you know, whether you're using a crawl trailer, um, it's a non-skirted jig, um, you know, whether it's a crawl trailer, worm, um, you know, those are kind of the main ones, or even a little swim bait, you'll see that um, between the hook moving around and then the bait's action itself, it creates a lot of action. You don't have to really generate the action yourself. Something you, you talked about the football head jig, and this is something I meant to mention earlier when we were talking about your jigs. Is something I really liked about your football head jig is it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's kind of like a brush jig, right? Like with that, the eye where you tie your line on is kind of made inside that head instead of sticking yeah. out where it gets snagged on stuff. Yeah, it's but, a it's a recessed line tie. Um, you know, and I do that just because it does help you, you know, avoid, you know, snagging. It does help a little bit there. Um, so to me, it was kind of a no brainer, you know, so I went ahead and did that. And then I included the, the stand up, you know, basically that head where it's got the big flat for it to stand up when you stop moving the bait or when it falls. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that, because it, it helps prevent a lot of snags, because a lot of times the biggest issue or what actually generates snags whether it's a football jig, whether it's a flipping jig, um, is when that bait, you know, when it stops or it's at the bottom and it actually rolls to its side, what you have, instead of just having the thickness of the hook you're trying to avoid getting snagged, you actually have the whole width of the gap that can pick up snags. And that's why I really try to make sure that that bait will, you know, that or that jig will stand up. And when you move it, it actually comes straight back to you versus falling on its side. Very nice. Um, so we went over football head jig. You, you said you said football heads for more deeper water, correct? Um, a, lot of, a lot of times I'll, um, like I said, I'll, I'll try to search more with the pivot heads. 
Um, you know, and once I find an area, I pick up a couple of fish, whether it's a rock pile, you know, a big gravel flat or, you know, whatever, you know, in deeper water. Once I find those fish and locate them, I'll typically start throwing a football jig around a little bit more to see if I can get some bigger bites. Not saying you won't catch bigger fish on, you know, on the, the pivot heads as well. Um, you know, but that average fish typically tends to be bigger on a full skirted jig. Yeah, I've, I've always heard, uh, you know, jigs more of a big fish bait. And uh, I actually, just a little story here. I, I was fishing with a buddy one time. He was using like a little worm and I was using a jig because uh, I actually make my own jigs just with a do it mode. I ain't got right, right, anything right. special like you, but uh, I was throwing one of mine and uh, I didn't get a bite all day pretty much, or all morning, I guess. And he's caught like 10 or 15 fish and, you know, I'm getting discouraged and, and uh, he's like, well, I bet you catch catch the biggest fish of the day. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think I'm pretty much done because it's middle of summer. I think it was like July, and uh, about 11:30, we were fishing along this bank line, and all of a sudden I got hit, and I, I bring in a four pounder, and you know. Some people may make fun of me for this or whatever, but to this day, that four pounder is still my personal best, 19 inches long. And uh, right after that, like not even five minutes later, I brought in one that was close to four pounds. It was in the high threes, 18 incher. And um, and those are still my two biggest ones right there. That's that's why uh, football head jig became my comfort bait there at the beginning. Because that was within my first couple of years. Uh, yeah, sorry I got sidetracked with there. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Um, it's kind of funny you say that. Um, you know, because uh, you know, obviously one of my idols, being a you know a big jig fisherman myself, is uh, Denny Brower. You know, um, you know, pretty much everybody knows him on the you know old man on the circuit still. Um, and one of his sayings that you know I still always always rings in my head today is. You know, because that's literally all the guy did was throw jigs, um, you know, even back in the, you know, 70s, 80s, stuff like that. Um, but he actually made a comment, you know, he said, I might only catch four fish all day, but my four will outweigh your five. Uh, you know, and, uh, I really love that. You know, I, I really try to, you know, kind of you know, embrace that. Um, now, as far as, you know, people might poke and fight at you for, a, you know, a four pounder being your biggest fish. Um, Trust me, you got plenty of water time left, <laughs> you know, yeah. to improve on that. And um, one of the things that a lot of people don't necessarily get, um, you know, if you take bass anglers as a whole, you know, I would say honestly, probably 85% of them have never caught a fish over three pounds. Um, hmm. And a lot of times, you know, when you hear people say, and I've ran into it, you know, oh, this place is just loaded with, you know, five pounders, you know, whether it's a private pond or something like that. Right. Uh, you know, and you go there, and then they catch one that's about, you know, two and a quarter. And they're like, yeah, it's at least four, right? <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, unless you have the, unless you don't have a scale, you know, you don't really have a great reference point when you're just starting. You know, that happens a lot too. So don't be discouraged. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I said that, but I ain't really too worried about it. You know, I've kind of accepted what the bass fisherman that I am. Uh, you know, I, I had to 
you know, I was doing my own podcast before I came over here to paddle and defend, and they asked me to move over here. And when I was leading up to starting my own podcast, I had to swallow a lot of pride to uh, admit that I suck at bass fishing. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I feel like I've got a lot of positive feedback for that. You know, I, I think there's a lot more people out there like me that are just too scared to admit that that they aren't as good as they try to portray to other people. Oh, and yeah, sure. I, I, that, that was me for the longest time. Like, I wanted to sound like I knew what I was talking about, which... But once you swallow that pride, you know, I, a lot of... Like, I've caught more fish this year in 2019 than I've caught my past five years of bass fishing altogether. And... You know, I credit a lot of that to admitting, you know, that I'm not that great and reaching out for help. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah and for sure. People willing to help. A lot of people, you know, they, as far as, and, and this is goes for anything, not even just necessarily fishing. Um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people just get comfortable. You know, and they say, well, you know, I catch some fish, you know, and then you, you'll see that, you know, 10% of anglers that really say, hey, I catch some fish. I know I'm better than maybe the average Joe, you know, who may be just picking up a rod for the first time or something. Um, but you'll see that that 10% of people just take it to a whole nother level. And then, and I'm sure you've seen it. Um, it's happened to me, you know, I've, I've fished and, you know, I've fished and I've, you know, always for the most part, you know, outside of my dad, you know, he's a pretty solid stick and, you know, taught me a lot of things. You know, anytime I'd go fishing with somebody, you know, I would, you know, if you wanted to put in competition terms, you know, I would murder them, you know, um, and, you know, of course that kind of builds an ego around you. Right. And then, uh, right. and then you go, fish a, you go fish a, um, you know, high dollar club tournament and you get spanked, you know? So <laughs> there's always levels to all of that, you know? Um, and I don't think I think a lot of people don't necessarily see that. You know, if you went and put me on the elite series, um, I would go broke very quick. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we. I got a sidetracked again, I believe. <laughs> All right. So, going back, um, you know, we talked about the flipping. Well, all the jigs we've talked about. Are you throwing them all on the same rod? Or do you use different rods for each one? Um, so I'm a little interesting on when it comes to rod choices. Um, I'm one of the, the few people in the world that would, would show up to a boat with uh, six, seven foot six heavy rods. <laughs> uh, now I've finally kind of gotten burned a couple of times to where, you know, I, I will go down to a medium heavy. Um, but I really, I myself, you know, I don't typically go below medium heavy, but I also really like when I hook the fish, I like to horse them back. You know, I, I, I develop yeah. a hatred for trying to finesse them back on, you know, on a, you know, a six and a half foot medium light spinning rod, you know, with six pound fluoro and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't times that you need to do that. Um, you know, but really the fishing I prefer, you know, always has 20 pound fluorocarbon and has at minimum like a seven foot four medium heavy rod. Um, once again, that's just because I like to hook the fish and then get them back to the boat as soon as possible. Um, yeah. 
I'm pretty much the same way there. I don't like playing around with them uh, too much because I want to get it in and be able to say I caught that fish. I don't want to give it any more chances than I have to to get off and right. away. But uh, so you're pretty much throwing all those jigs on that same rod, correct? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Now, when I'm fishing deeper water, you know, that's where I, I kind of prefer to actually go with the medium heavy. Um, you know, to where I get a little bit more tip action, a little bit more sensitivity. Um, you know, you do want a little bit more of an arc in the, you know, the normal rod bend when you have it loaded, you know, and hook sets and stuff when you're fishing deeper. Um, but then all the, all the shallow water stuff, you know, I really try to, as far as the flipping jigs go, you know, I try to stick with the, you know, a true heavy action flipping and pitching rod where it's actually a moderate fast tip. Um, and that's just a lot of stuff is that they're a lot easier to, well, flip and pitch with, you know, when you actually go to a moderate fast tip versus a fast tip or extra fast. Um, now, where they're not great for shallow water is fishing stuff like spinner baits, buzz baits, I mean, even crank baits, but, um, you know, stuff like that, because it actually normal casts like sidearm casting or roll casting they're not as accurate. They are kind of a one trick pony as far as, you know, flipping, you know, you know, flipping and pitching kind of style. Well, I, I was actually going to say something similar to that to you. Uh, I, I was told that you just recently tried kayak fishing out. Yes, I did. Yes, and, I did. <laughs> and uh, I was going to say with, with those really long rods like that, you might, if, if you, I don't know how far you plan on going with the kayak fishing, whether you plan on getting into it or whatnot, but, but uh, those long rods, you know, they're they're a little bit harder to cast sometimes out of a kayak, so you might you might have to adjust that if you go on. Yeah, it. for sure. Um, when you have a standing platform, you know, I, I think you're you're relatively okay, but if you are more in the seated position and stuff, they um, they can get definitely a lot to you know a lot to handle. Um, but even outside of just the use part of it is also the storage, right? Because typically you have two, mm-hmm. three, or something. You know, and if you have a seven and a half to eight foot rod on a, you know, on a ten to twelve foot kayak, you know, I'm not great at math, but I'm good enough. It's a, you know, about sixty six percent of your boat, you know. Um, or even if you have a stand up, you know, it's just they get a little trickier to. I really think that. At least me, and I'll find out. I definitely am going to be, you know, getting a kayak and, uh, you know, pursuing that more. I had a really good time um, down there at Lake Cowan. You know, probably I'm going to stick right at the six, ten, to seven foot range. Well, you, maybe you can talk to uh, to Ricketts and get him to help you get into one of those blue skies. You can stand up in a hurricane on one of those things. <laughs> um, yeah, I- well, I was like, I can't tell if it's a kayak or a pontoon. <laughs> and, uh, I know it's kind of a controversial boat, but, um, you know, I mean, you, you see people complain about those or some, you know, but then you also see stuff where, you know, now you have the 1,100-watt electric motor uh, that's pushing kayaks at, like, 15 mile an hour, you know. Like, um, unfortunately, people do have to realize in all of these things there's always going to be different financial levels. Um, you know, even in, even in, you know, the local, you know, actual, you know, bass boat style tournaments and stuff, you know, you'll see anywhere from a, you know, a 1980s Ranger to, um, you know, to, uh, you know, a freaking 2019 Phoenix, you know, um, it's just something it's gonna happen, you know, so. Well, 
everything evolves. You know, every sport known to man has evolved, and kayak fishing ain't no different. It's gonna keep evolving, and it's just part of yeah, life, right there. I'm actually, you know, the kayak fishing that you're very, very early in the technology curve. Um, you know, I mean, if you really think about it, if you look, let's say, 12 years ago, you really didn't even have fishing kayaks. You know, for the most part, you know, they were just the typical, you know, legs up under the, you know, the top there or whatever. And it was, you know, just paddling. You could fish out of them, um, but you can only bring one rod and it's going to get really you know, tight and really awkward. Um, but now, you know, then it kind of slowly transitioned. And now you're finally seeing a lot of people get creative with them. You know, you're young in the technology curve. There's going to be a lot of changes for, you know, probably the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. Oh, yeah. Definitely excited and nervous to see what's in the future. <laughs> yeah, technology is always a funny thing, you know, because you know, as soon as you buy it, it's kind of obsolete, you know, <laughs> and it, you know, it always sucks. So, yeah. With the electronics, you know, um, but you know, kayaks will. I don't. I think you're fairly limited with the kayaks due to the package size. You know, you don't have this humongous range of you know, 16 foot bass boats up to 22 footers and, you know, stuff like that. You know, you will be some limited, but I think a lot of the, the biggest thing will be a lot of the storage options on them. Um, I think that's where most of the changes will be. Yes. Definitely going to definitely uh, exciting about the possibilities for the kayak fishing. Um, all right, got sidetracked once again. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's go over the different times of year. What are you pretty much throwing a jig all year round? Yeah, you know I really do. It's just you you are kind of doing you know whether it's you're targeting different techniques um, or even playing you know maybe you're doing those same techniques but playing with the different weights you know trying to generate different fall rates stuff like that. Um, you know, springtime, a lot of time when bed fishing, you know, I will actually, whether it's bed fishing or, you know, pre-spawn, stuff like that, I'll go, you know, I'll stick to probably three eights, you know, I'll throw a lot of three eights early in the spring. Um, Is there a reason behind that? Like it's just that size? Yeah, it's just the, yeah, it's, you're not really changing the profile size that much. Um, Because you got to think on a jig, 90% of your profile is generated through the skirt and the trailer. You know, the head doesn't really look much different from a three-eighths to a half ounce, at least, you know, to a fish per se. Um, You know, but a lot of times, you know, early, early spring, I'm actually going to be, you know, when I say early, I'm talking like March, you know, very pretty close to ice out, uh, or I guess ice off. And... um, you know, really, I'm trying to go down to, I'll stick with about a three-eighths, but I'll throw trailers that don't necessarily move a lot of water. Um, you know, you're kind of looking at stuff like like a beaver. You know, it doesn't really have a whole lot of action. Um, or a lot of times what I'll do as a trick, just because, once again, I'm lazy, I don't like having to worry about carrying, you know, 100 different trailers. Um, you know, a lot of those, you know, whether it's rage crawl stuff or whether it's like the berkeley chigger crawl which is you know my favorite you know jig trailer i just won't separate those tabs 
you know, the little shipping tabs where it keeps the claws together. Mm. And when you separate those, those claws will actually just glide through the water versus kick. You know, so I'll do that a lot too, um, especially early spring. Um, and once you start, you know, getting into the May time frame, you know, and it all kind of depends whether you're fishing quarries that are, you know, super clear and deep, you know, their actual spawn or when they're on beds might not be till mid-June um, to where a super shallow, fairly, you know, stained water place, you know, that, you know, has a max depth of eight feet, you know, their their spawner when they're getting close to beds might be right at the end of April. You know, can, they can be actually very different even in the same area. Um, but when I get to a place and they're starting to move, move on to beds, um, I will play with several different weights. Now, I would say that I have the most success with the 3.8 still. Um, but if I get on a fish that I really struggle to generate any excitement out of when it's on a bed, um, I'll start moving up to the half ounce and to the three-quarter ounce and see if the fall rate will actually kind of create more of a reaction strike. Um, and I've caught actually a lot of my bigger fish doing that. You know, I've, I've fished for, you know, some fish on beds for 30 minutes. You know, um, it can be brutal, but also when you're staring at a six or seven pounder, you know, you kind of, you can deal with it. You know? yeah. Like it's got to bite um, something eventually. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, if you don't cast at it, it's not going to bite either, you know. Um, and then a lot of times with the bed fishing, I will throw the more active trailers, you know, stuff that has a lot of, you know, claw action per se. Um, and then I will typically, when it gets to summertime, you know, I'll fish a lot of the same areas, you know, whether it's docks or, you know, you know, brush piles, stuff like that. Um, you're not necessarily casting up. I mean, I'll still cast up, you know, as close as I can to the bank, but a lot of your bites will come out at the end of structure in that little bit deeper water. Um, but there I'll typically stick with a half ounce for, you know, pretty much all of summer. No. Uh, what, what are you calling deeper water there? Is it back to that ten foot range, or um, really anything? You know, when you're when you're pitching jigs around wooded cover and stuff, I would really say anything in that you know that five to ten foot range. You know, because okay. obviously, I mean, when you're pitching right up to the bank, for the most part, you know, especially if it's kind of mud bank style, um, you know, you're pitching a couple inches of water and then gradually working that bait out. You know, um, but typically all summer long, I really stick with a half ounce. Um, there are actually a couple lakes, but they, they're they pretty niche lakes um, that I will only throw a three-quarter ounce jig. Um, you know, one of those lakes would be Lake Hudson. Um, not sure why it's so different there, but, you know, they want the biggest trailer you can find, and they want, you know, the, the heaviest jig you can find. Um, and, I mean, even the, you know, even the one-pound fish, you know, I'll just get more bites on just a lot bigger and, you know, heavier profiles. Well, they're hungry, uh, I guess. <laughs> I get, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, like I said, when I found that out, it was kind of by accident because I had ran out of, you know, all my other jigs. Um, and uh, so I, I had a couple three-quarter ounces left, and I had, and so the four-inch trigger curl, I had the five-inch trigger curl. Um, and so I just started putting that on, and I started actually catching a lot more fish than I was previously. Um, and then in the fall, you know, I mean, in the fall, I mean, really, I'm, for the most part, up until about November, you know, I'm I'll still stick with the half ounce. Once you get past November, I'll move back to a three eighths. You know, get something falling a little bit slower, um, and just fishing it slower in general. You know, you'll get a lot more bites that way. Okay. Um, back to the trailer thing. 
you're talking about the beaver style uh, trailer. Uh, you know, those tend to be kind of long. I've heard of some people cutting part of that off, part of the body off of it. Do you, oh, yeah. do you, you cut those off? Um, yeah, you know, um, and that's always going to be a little bit different based off of, you know, whose jig you're using and stuff like that. Um, my goal um, is always to, let's say, like, look at the four-inch trigger crawl. Um, my goal is always to get my claws just below the skirt. I want all the claws below this, you know, the full length of the claw below the skirt. Um, but I don't want to have a huge gap, you know, where you have a big segment of the body sticking below the skirt, then the claws. Um, you know, so with, with, uh, with my jigs, it's, you're actually removing about half of a segment on a four inch sugar crawl. Um, and that's because my trailer keeper sets a little bit lower than a lot of, you know, other jigs on the market. Um, but that's because I'm using a screw lock trailer versus just the barb style. Okay. Uh, one of probably the well, is the main trailer that I throw when I got a jig is a, a Zoom Super Chunk. What have you used those before? Um, yeah, so when I, I use the you know the chunk style trailers, um, I typically you know my main confidence is on them is when it's cold. You know when okay. you get that water when you get that water temp below fifty, um, you know whether it's you know rising up to fifty or whether it's you know, from 50 and cooling, um, you know, that's a lot of times and I'll move and through the winter too, you know, a, you know, I'll move to that chunk style. Um, but once that water gets past 50, you know, I, that's where I, I typically want something with a little bit of action. Um, and I'll throw something with a little bit more bulk, you know. See, I'm, I'm kind of a creature of habit. And when I first got into jig fishing, uh, basically, a guy I worked with, we had been talking for a while, and he had told me about a jig, and I got really interested. And Walmart's right across the street from work, so we went over there after work, and he helped me pick out stuff, and he picked out some half-ounce jigs for me and, and picked up those super chunks uh, for me to put on there. And that's basically what I've pretty much thrown this whole time. And I've... I've never really like changed up based on the weather conditions and stuff. I've pretty much always thrown that. So it's good to know why I don't get as many bites in the summertime because I'm using the wrong trailer. So that don't help them. <laughs> yeah, like I said, yeah, I mean, um, you know, a lot of times in that cold water, that's when those those style trailers will, you know, um, excel. Um, but I've found, you know, once you get to that mid spring all the way through summer to mid fall, you really want something. I think that has a lot of action. You're really just trying to create reaction strikes at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, we know I asked you about the rod earlier. Mm -hmm. I didn't really get into the reel. Uh, are you throwing, are you throwing this on a, uh, with a bait caster or a spinning reel? I don't even actually own a spinning reel. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, fun story about that. Um, I actually went up to um, up to northern Wisconsin and uh, fished with Josh and Caitlin Woodward up there, and we were fishing for smallmouth on beds. Um, you know, and they have you know medium light spinning rods with you know freaking six pound fluoro, and you know so when they hook a fish, they have the drag drag as loose as possible, and they're basically you know almost hoping the fish just makes it to the net kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's what a lot of those people do up there. And then, of course, I have a, you know, seven four medium heavy flipping and pitching stick with 20-pound fluoro on it. You know, when I hook a smallmouth, I'm horsing it as they're scrambling for the net. And they're like, and I just boat flipped it, you know, and uh, they're like, huh, that's new, you know, and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, Can't I'm do not it with a six pound pitch. <laughs> no, no, you cannot. Uh, I learned that the hard way the one time they handed me, me one too. of those spin rods for a fish, uh, you know, a fish that was being a little more, um, you know, difficult. So I went to a, it was actually a, a like a 16 ounce hair jig. Um, you know, that they had and they, you know, you know, fish just rolls on it and I, you know, whale on it like crazy on the hooks and just snap the line immediately, you know, so kind of learned there. Um, but yeah, I, I focus, you know, especially, especially for flipping and pitching, you want a casting reel. Um, and the reason that is you'll actually be a lot more accurate with them and you can actually control how hard that bait enters the water a lot easier. Um, you know, because with a spinning reel, you know, if you throw the bait too hard off the initial cast, you only have one option, and that's to grab the line and stop it. Yeah. Uh, and then when that happens, you know, a cannonball's in the water, and you're like, well, crap, that spot's probably ruined. Um, with a casting reel, you can use that thumb a lot to, even if you do throw it way too hard, you can, like, generally, you know, slow the bait down. Yeah, you can slow uh, down, you can stop it and all that. Yeah, right. Yeah, you, you have a, a lot more... You're less reliant on the initial cast, you know, the initial force of the cast um, compared to a, a spinning rod. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big uh, spinning reel. I'm not a big spinning reel fan myself. Uh, I've got I've got one that I carry with me. It's the medium light six pound piss and all that. But I, I use that for my smaller baits. My I, I like to throw a four inch. Uh, finesse worm or ned rig something like that i i throw those on that setup but other than that i love bait casters just for what we just talked about like having that extra control right um, um yeah the really the only time you you know at least the, the time i will miss having a spinning rod which i'll you know i'll have again here but just currently at the moment i don't um you know is when i'm trying to skip you know, around docks and stuff, you know, um, now I can skip with the casting reel, but it's uh, definitely not as easy as with a spinning reel, you know, um, but, uh, but for the most things I've really developed, uh, you know, the ability to, you know, kind of fish whatever I want, you know, on, on a casting reel. Um, what, what gear ratio were you using for that? Um, I, you know, it's funny, like every time a company comes out with a quote unquote high speed reel, um, five years, it's considered slow speed, slow speed. You know? <laughs> um, my dad and actually we still use them, believe it or not, um, have some of the, the, the lose original lose, uh, BB ones that were at the time, the fastest on the market. And, um, mm-hmm. I think they're late seventies, if I recall. And uh, their gear oh, ratios, wow. yeah, yeah, they're still working everything. Yeah, they're great reels, <laughs> uh, but they're considered a high-speed reel, and their gear ratios five point one to one. You know, which is a turtle compared to the stuff out there now. I mean, heck, I think I just saw a reel the other day. It's at a ten to one ratio. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and then, uh, um, I really, I mean, the seven, you know, the seven to one is a great all-purpose you know, all purpose reel. Um, a lot of mine are like 7.5 to one. Um, and then I do have a rod that I use primarily for heavy, heavy cover. 
um, or even, you know, frog fishing, you know, if that, if that's what I'm doing, um, that's an 8.3 to one, but, uh, most of my all purpose stuff is, is 7.5 to one. I feel like that's a good ratio. Yeah. It's, I, it's I, all, you, when you get below that, it's the, the biggest fears, especially with jig fishing and shallow covers. A lot of times those fish will storm right back to the boat. You know, you hook them and they just beeline right to you. Um, you know, so I want to be able to keep up with them. Um, what kind of retrieve are you doing when you're, when you're working a jig? Are you kind of like just slowly reeling it? Are you dragging it? Um, Yeah. So, so with, uh, you know, like a flipping jig, you know, when I'm fishing shallow wooded cover or even, you know, dock stuff like that, um, you know, I'm, I'm really picking apart a bunch of different areas. Um, you know, I'll fish the outside edges of the, you know, the timber. I'll fish way up shallow. If there's any crotches in the tree or something like that, you know, I'll try to fish that stuff. Uh, but most of the time, you know, I'm making a pitch, a, you know, a very, you know, targeted pitch to a specific area. And, you know, it, it's, I don't go crazy with it, you know, but I try to hop that bait about five inches off the bottom. Um, you know, so I'll basically, you know, hop, reel the slack, hop, reel the slack, hop. Um, you know, and then if I don't get bit by then, a lot of times, instead of keep fishing that all the way back to the boat, I'll reel it up and pitch it to a different part of the tree. Um, you know, so it's, it's pretty actually, you know, you can pick a part of tree pretty quick. Um, you know, nothing happens and move on. Um, now when you're fishing like, you know, like football jigs or even pivot head jigs, you know, out, you know, a little deeper water or you're, you know, it's more of a drag kind of style, you know, kind of keep the rod tip low. Um, I don't, I don't go crazy necessarily on hop. I actually try to keep it on the bottom as much as I can. Um, and then there is also the, the crazy experience of stroking jigs. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to do that or not. It's uh, pretty common uh-huh. for ledging. Um, you know, when you fish like stair step ledges and stuff is what they'll do is they'll get that bait, you know, pretty close to the edge and they'll pick up the rod, you know, and try to hold it as high as they can. And that bait will, you know, it'll be like eight foot hops, you know, um, um, I haven't fished too many places where around here, at least that you do that, but, you know, for the most part, you know, shallow water flipping, you know, it's, it's, you know, three quick hops, you know, about anywhere from a six inches to a foot off the bottom, nothing hits, you know, um, you know, just reel it back in, pitch to different areas. Um, but like, so when you get in those deeper water stuff, it's, it's a lot more of a dragging technique. Uh, colors. What what kind of uh, what kind of colors do you tend to pick with those different jigs? Yeah. So you know, for me, honestly, and, and real real quick, what while you're on that, uh, touch on the the trailer color as well, like matching okay. up and all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so by by far my favorite color um, is is my oaky crawl. Um, you know, it's kind of a play off the Okeechobee crawl. You know, uh, which is a you know mainly a green pumpkin and blue. You know, and but what I do is I really try to dial in the blue that I use for it. Um, but also I actually have a, a about you know eight strands of a black and blue in there as well that's mixed in. And I got I gotta say on that I I love that color even before i knew about you 
and I saw <laughs> yours and man, whenever I order some, I'm definitely yeah, getting some yeah, of yeah, so, I mean, by far, I mean, if I'm showing up to any new body of water, you know, that's really what I'm starting with. Um, and with that, I will use a, you know, a dark green pumpkin trailer. Um, for the most part, I mean, that's really, that's really my bread and butter and what I'm actually probably throwing about 75% of the time. Um, now, once you get into, you know, that even if it's, I mean, you'll still catch a lot of fish stained wise there. Um you know, but once you start moving into the, you know, the stain to dirty, you know, that's where, you know, the good old faithful black and blue comes out, you know, um, not that you won't catch fish in dirty water on like an oaky crawl or a green pumpkin, um, you know, but that black and blue and um, honestly for dirty water, my favorite is that uh, the June bug black. Um, you still get a lot of the benefits that you get with black and blue, but it's less common you know, where obviously black and blue gets thrown a lot. Yeah. Um, so if you're fishing a pressured place, you, you still get a lot of the benefits out of the June bug, you know, colored jig. Um, but the fish really haven't, you know, seen it quite as much, you know. So a lot of times I'll throw that June bug there as well. Um, and then if you're fishing, you know, straight poop water, as I call it, you know, <laughs> um, I'll switch to a uh, the color, at least I have as the option is a, uh, swamp crawler and um it's got a, a pretty heavy amount of like black and red in it and then also watermelon red but mainly that black and red is the biggest feature there and i'll throw that with a black and red trailer um i'm not the biggest fan of mixing you know throwing a black and blue jig with a green pumpkin trailer um the one area that i will say that that actually does work very well is when you have like a watermelon candy like that style color, even a watermelon, um, you know, that kind of color for some reason. And I think it's just a, you know, it kind of plays off of like a sunfish or bream stuff really well. Black and blue trailers will actually work very well on, um, you know, watermelon colors. Cool. I, I tend to stick with, uh, with mainly just green pumpkin colors. Um, <laughs> How do you feel about the flakes? Because I got some that are like green pumpkin with red flake in there. And in my mind, it's like, okay, maybe it's a little bloody. It's injured, so easy praise. But am I wrong in thinking that? Um, not really. Um, I throw, like when I'm throwing green pumpkin trailers, um, you know, I'm, I typically will stick with just like, you know, the, the pepper, they call it, you know, the, the little bit of black in there. Um, the reason I do that is just because, you know, as I mix, you know, across or as I, you know, try to use, you know, I don't want to have to carry, you know, a specific trailer for each jig. You know, I kind of like having just a couple, you know, trailer options. And like, so if I'm moving just between... Simplify it. Right, right. I try to simplify it. Um you know, now the biggest time that you do tell a difference is going from a black and blue to a black and red, you know, and that blue flaker turns to red, that red really, really um, helps in dirty, dirty water. Um, you know, where actually the black and blue doesn't show up as much on um, that red will actually pick up some more sunlight. Um, but for the most part, especially with a like green pumpkin, I'm sticking with a, you know, a solid green pumpkin or it'll have like the, the black pepper in it. Cool. Uh, I think we basically touched on pretty much everything I was wanting to talk to you about tonight with, as far as jig fishing. 
is there is there anything that uh like that I didn't cover that you would want to uh, share? Um, no, I think as far as you know, I think we really touched a you know a good amount of the bases there. Um, one thing that I am working on is really trying to get a lot more of like tips and techniques, you know, on the website, both um, you know text form, um, but also video form. I'm kind of starting to get into that some. Um, you know, really what I try to tell people is, you know, I want to make sure that you have a good experience with the products. Um, you know, and, and with jig fishing, you know, it's not quite as common as it used to be. You know, it used to be everybody was throwing a jig, you know, now you have a lot more people kind of sticking with, you know, you know, simply like Texas rigging and stuff like that. Um, you know, but I, I think that if people, you know, actually gave them a, you know, an adequate shot, um, you know, and practice with them more, they would find out it's a, it's a great tool to have in your arsenal, um, especially for getting those bigger bites. Well, something to add to that, uh, with not as many people throwing the jig, that could be an advantage for people that do throw the jig. Because, like you were talking about earlier, with throwing something that are throwing a different color than what everybody else is throwing, giving the fish something they don't see all the time. Well, throwing the jig, where you said you know a lot more people are throwing Texas rig, throwing that jig. That's something the fish don't see all the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, I really do think you know jigs have a have a place no matter how much they get thrown. You know, just it's it's a pretty natural presentation if you watch them underwater. You know, and it actually makes you understand why they why they get bit. You know, um, but to your point, and I talked about it on the you know the the other the previous podcast. Um, a biggest example of that is the spinnerbait versus the chatterbait. You know, you there was a solid amount of there's about a five-year stretch where you couldn't touch a fish with a spinnerbait you know just because everybody from starter to high level was throwing them you know because mm-hmm. they're just an easy bait to throw you know it's catch and retrieve it's great you know uh, nope <laughs> <laughs> so i got a malfunctioning light here it's about to fall nope. and hit me in the head nope. all right um you know, so there's about a five-year stretch you couldn't, you know, get touched on a spinnerbait. Um, and that's why when the chatterbait came out, you know, it was different. You know, it, it, you know, people were buying them like crazy because they were working. You know, it was a little bit different, you know, similar way to fish it uh, or similar style, but just, you know, the, those fish really honed in on it. But about, you know, two years after the chatterbait was released, all of a sudden the spinnerbait started coming back because nobody was throwing them anymore. You know, so, um, you know, a lot of that stuff will go in waves. You know, it's always being a little bit different than, the, you know, the rest of the competition. For sure. Circle life. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, you mind if I put you on the spot a little bit here? Go ahead. You know, I, I know we've been talking uh, jig fishing a lot here. But uh, something that I like to try to do on these episodes is
think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.